He has his own podcast. What is it, y'all? Get my shit together. Welcome to the Getting My Act Together podcast for Tuesday, April 4th, 2023. I hope your week is off to a great start. I hope you had a terrific weekend. And I hope that after I'm finished recording this, the San Diego State University men's basketball team has or is on their way to defeating the University of Connecticut for the men's basketball championship. San Diego State, my hometown, San Diego, California. What is a hometown? I've struggled with that across my life. Is it where you grew up? Is it where you were born? Is it the place that makes you? And if you are a real one from a place like Jersey City or Newark or Gary, Indiana or wherever else in the world you're from, the 305, you probably know exactly what a hometown is. But I've been scattered across my divorced parents' lives. So I was born in Chicago. I spent a little time in San Francisco as a boy, moved to Portland, Oregon for a minute. But I guess came of age in San Diego, California. Is that the right way to say it? Is that my hometown? That's wherever you lay your hat. Well, I guess it kind of feels like San Diego is my home. But really, I guess I was there for 10 years. I was there from I was there from the age of 6 until 16, 17, and then I left and ran away from home and moved drove, moved, <laughs> fled to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where I lived for a couple years, then went back to San Diego. So I feel like I matured some in Philadelphia. I matured more when I went back to San Diego. I I don't know what hometown means cuz I I I don't come from Brick City. I come from come from the land of the ice and snow. <laughs> Hammer of the gods. Anyway, the point is this. I have taken classes at San Diego State uh, on more than one occasion at different phases of my academic life. I have... So anyway, I've I've taken classes at San Diego State. My wife has a Master's of Business Administration from San Diego State. We are San Diego State people. We uh, lived in San Diego before. Is it my hometown? I don't know what hometown means. But it's close enough for me to to call it my hometown. And it's perhaps a place that I will take my daughter someday and raise her amid the sun and the surf and the conservative local politics that actually has a democratic and I believe a gay mayor in the city of San Diego. The point is this, San Diego State is playing UConn tonight for the national championship. And I know no one who listens to this podcast is really much of a sports fan. At least no one ever writes in saying, hey, how come you didn't cover more of the women's basketball tournament that ended yesterday with a bit of a kerfuffle with the LSU player doing the uh, face washing thing to the white player and people got offended, but nobody, you know what I mean? Like we don't, this is, well, because we're a racist, uh, hypocritical society is the answer. Shout out to LSU women and shout out to Caitlin Clark who balled her ass off. Anyway, I know it's not a sports podcast, but I'm recording this before going up and joining my wife in uh, prayer that San Diego's to hand-holding that San Diego State beats UConn. I am not optimistic that San Diego State is going to cover the seven-point spread, and as a matter of fact, 
if I were a gambling man, which means had I uh, had the forethought to get a bet down, I would have taken UConn minus seven tonight. I think they just they have a look of a juggernaut. I don't think they've been. I don't think anybody throughout the tournament's been within 14 or 15 points of them. I think they're going to handle State. But you know what? That's not me counting out State. State is grimy. They play rough basketball. If you know anything about basketball, and I'll move on in a second, just give me a moment to enjoy the fact that San Diego State, San Diego State is playing for the national championship against UConn. Okay? Give me a second. If you watch San Diego State play basketball, if you know anything about basketball, if you grew up at all playing at least pickup basketball, you will recognize San Diego State's style of basketball as being very reminiscent of when the football players would come to the gym and play. I don't know if you remember that, but it sucked. <laughs> because they were incredibly physical and somewhat clumsy and would not make many shots, but nobody wanted to play against them, and they usually won, usually by being tougher, stronger, <laughs> and better able to rebound the basketball and prevent you from doing what you're doing. They didn't have a, The football players in a gym don't have a lot of time for the finesse. They're football players. You know what I mean? They have CTE. They have tau proteins in their cerebral cortex. And when you play basketball against them, it sucks. That's what State's team reminds me of. You know, they have an offensive possession, and now I'm really deep into it. They have an offensive possession. And for those of you who don't listen, don't who listen who don't play basketball, that means when you have the ball. And let's say you shoot the ball. And it bounces up, it misses, and then somebody grabs the rebound. San Diego State, and then if you have it, if you receive the rebound, it's an offensive rebound. If the other team, the defensive team, gets the rebound, it's a defensive rebound. Am I explaining basketball? You fucking know how basketball works, right? Anyway, San Diego State will have like 50 shots in the same possession because they are terrible at shooting the basketball. <laughs> really what I mean is the football player model. Not good at shooting, but they're going to get every rebound because they are like a bunch of yoked superheroes who are going to ping-pong you out of the way or bowling pin you out of the way to get the ball, throw it back up, it doesn't go in, and just re rinse, repeat over and over until maybe you foul them. <laughs> and then in the football player model, they would miss both foul shots, go back, and uh, play sturdy defense. Meanwhile, UConn looks very, very skilled. Not to say State isn't skilled. But you get the idea. If you played basketball growing up and the football players came into the gym, you know exactly what I'm describing, and that's how San Diego State plays. So the podcast is being recorded with some animation because I'm excited State is in the game. I have a couple of things that I want to mention. I'm not going to plug any shows. I'll tell you about that later, why I don't plug. Why I'm, there's no mystery or intrigue here. Uh a couple things. Shy Town Save Me. That's what 15 said. 15 said we should think about calling the person who wrote in Shy Town Save Me. Um, I don't know, 15. I just let me be honest with you. Isn't that what you called it? Shy Town Save Me? 
trying to figure it out is what I'm doing. I'm, I'm now I am looking on my phone. I said I would never do it, but I'm doing it. I'm not looking on the internet. I'm just looking on my phone to see what 15 said on the uh, review uh, that he left. He said, I'm pretty sure Chi Town saved me, right? Getting my. Sorry for this. I had great pace, I know. And you're like, well, dude, just as well. Take a breath. Get yourself together. Yeah, Shy town saved me. And I'm, I'm, I'm done with the phone. Phone went back off. Shy town saved me. It doesn't, like I said, 15, it doesn't roll off the tongue. But something that he said, the person who wrote in from Chicago, and I don't think he lives there anymore, where he said he likes that I, I stay laser-focused, <laughs> and that's my embellishment that I'm laser focused, but I'm what am I focused on? The two two parallel sets of objectives. Uh, financial independence, creative or artistic fulfillment, creative slash artistic fulfillment and financial independence. If one of those and I'm, I'm, I don't work in finance or uh you know, banking or some like a hedge fund. So I don't think I'd ever get creative fulfillment from financial independence, but I think I could get financial independence from creative fulfillment. Like I said, with what's your problem? Those two things are primary goals. Additionally, I'm trying to see my daughter's 30th birthday and I'm trying to, which is 26 years from now. And I'm also trying to headline comedy clubs. And what do I do to do those things? Well, First and foremost, um, it's, that's, that's not the point, first and foremost. Uh, I ran five miles yesterday. <laughs> How about that? I did two miles by myself, one and a half miles with one dog, and one and a half miles with the other dog. So that's five miles. Um, it's not about me. It's about what Chi-Town saved me or um, the person who wrote in from Chicago gets out of the podcast is my staying focused on trying to simplify my things, which is great because I don't feel like my life is all that simple. I feel like it's dispersed and, and scattered and I'm trying to rein it in at all times. But those are the primary objectives. And is this a lame name, 15? So I was thinking about it. He was focused on, he got, because the guy in Chicago had too many goals. And he said that he couldn't accomplish any of them. But hearing me talk about just two helped him set, you know, just two, two or a reasonable number of goals, which he was able to accomplish. So I was thinking about it like, well, I, we could call them Chicago goals. And just hearing it out loud is ridiculous. So 15, thank you, Chi-Town Save Me. I don't know. Ellen C., let me know what you think about a name for uh, the writer from Chicago who likes the fact that and is going to help me rebrand the self-help part of the podcast. But the reason I bring him up is he mentioned in his last email that it was Phil Spector who was responsible for so much of mixing the sound down at the end of songs, which has been a recurring theme. You might not like basketball, but you certainly like 70s rock and roll, don't you? <laughs> Sundown, you better take care if I... And you know what? On Friday, when you were listening to that episode about that Gordon Lightfoot song and Kathy Smith for the very first time, I was at lunch. Did I talk about this? 
Yes, of course. I'm sorry. My bad. I did because I was like, I swear I talked about that. I was at lunch having a glass of wine with my old friend telling him about Kathy, Kathy Smith and Gordon Lightfoot. And he was like, holy shit, that's an amazing story. I'm like, yeah, you know, it's even more impressive. He, uh, she shot up John Belushi. Not impressive, but she was, she was a high-profile woman. Anyway, the writer from Chicago, Chi-Town Saved Me, Chicago's, Chicago's. I have to do my Chicago's before we go out tonight. He was talking about Phil Spector as the master of mixing songs down. And somewhere, I feel like on a previous episode, uh, pardon me for one second. I said that I was going to go listen to Jagged Little Pill, which is pretty close to being a masterpiece. All and I've talked about it on the podcast, and I'm not going to. Uh, you'd have to just go find out wherever it is. Just listen to all the podcasts. Start at like number ten, and then go through wherever we are today, three something. But I've talked about the Alanis Morissette record, Jagged Little Pill, and how it's just about a masterpiece. There might be one song that is not as good as all the others on there, but it's an amazing record. Even more impressive because she was like 19, 20 years old when she was recording it. She was touring on it when she was 22 and 23 and didn't, and she made it. She She's on the other side as far as I know. I haven't spoken with her recently, but last I checked, um, she was doing just fine. And that's pretty impressive. I would not have handled it as well. <laughs> I also wouldn't have made something as so impressive as Jagged Little Pill. I said on the previous podcast when he was talking about Phil Spector that I would listen to Jagged Little Pill just to see how many of those songs are, in my estimation, not finished. Where the producer, and it's just like, uh, I'm here to remind you. Producer just turns it down. Like that's the vo the volume comes down, and let's move on. Journey song. I, the most egregious example is Good Times, Bad Times. Song one, side one from Led Zeppelin, album one. It's like two and a half minutes, and they're like, dude, we said what we needed to say. We made the statement that we're the mighty Zep. We're going to get the lead out, all that. Let's just fucking mix it down. The song that surprised me that had none of that is the a song I've also referred to numerous times, My Sharona, which has that like eight-minute, unbelievably shreddy, technical, yet tasteful guitar solo at the end of, of like a bridge outro. It's like two songs. It was like they tacked on that second like four and a half minutes of the song. And My Sharona is a lot longer than you remember. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yet My Sharona still ends with My Sharona. It ends. It fucking ends. So anyway, I was curious about Jagged Little Pill. And I listened to it earlier. And right off the bat, the first song fades away. Fades down. That's all I really want. I mentioned it because I, why? Well, because Chicago's Chi-Town Saved Me talked about Phil Spector. And maybe I said that at the Laughing Skull, we were cranking that song 
uh, sometime in the last couple of weeks while we were trying to turn over the room from the 8 to the 10.30 show. So I put on Jagged Little Pill, and it's just playing uh, song one, uh, All I Really Want, or whatever it's called, right? What's yeah, All I Really Want. And it just fades fades down to Elena's like, oh, it's all I really want, it's all I really want. But then like the next three songs all finish. You ought to know. And I'm here to remind you. I want you to know. I'm happy for you. I <laughs> I don't believe her. I think she's being sarcastic. It ends. You, 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 I don't know. That's how it ends. It ends. The song right after that, perfect. Which is just a devastating lyric. I'm only going to do four songs on Atlantis here. It's a great record. Go listen to it. So you start with All I Really Want, then you go to You Ought to Know, which is iconic, beyond iconic. It's one of the best-known songs on the globe. I said it. I said it. I don't know if it's true, but it's a podcast. So, you know, I'm not the New York Times. I'm not Michael Barbaro. The third song is perfect, and I said it's just devastatingly precise and poignant what I imagine is a you know kind of jab at her parents or parents of someone like Alanis Morissette I love you just the way you are if you're flawless that ends it's a great lyric by the way listen to the whole song and it ends and then the fourth song is hand in my pocket I'm drunk, but I'm sober. I'm scared, but I'm I'm not scared, but I'm shaking shit. I've got one hand in my pocket, and the other one is flicking a cigarette. It also ends. So it just confirms for me that good songwriters like Alanis Morissette and super producer Glenn Ballard <laughs> finish goddamn songs. They don't just fade them down like Spectre and Led Zeppelin. And uh, I don't know, whoever else I was talking about. So that uh, is the music part of the show, the basketball music part of the show. Another thing that I wanted to mention and solicit your input on uh, are my Instagram clips now that I put up the last couple weeks. You'll see they have a, a teal or turquoise background to them. They look almost... Uh, like a bit of a superhero or a Marvel DC. Ugh. Just like a bit of a comic book, I guess, vibe to them. At least the image that what are called the thumbnails that you see on Instagram. So there are like five or six of them because I have a new editor who is putting them together for me. And I kind of like the looks of them. It's different than other things I see. Everyone else just looks like someone standing in a comedy club. That wasn't my design. I wasn't like, hey, can you make it look like this? But uh, it seems to be working in that it's 
getting views and followers and engagement, but you listen to podcasts, so uh, I value you more, as you know, than anybody else in the world. Let me know what you think of that look, if you have any opinions. I reposted one. I had my, and this is crazy how the world works. I found a video editor, somebody who can take my clips, chop them up, and put them in the format I need for Instagram for a reasonable price, and he's in Bangladesh. How did you do that? Well, I went to Upwork, which connects, I guess, people like me with freelancers, and uh, it's really cool. So I send him the clip, and then he just... <clears throat> he puts the text underneath them. He gives me the thumbnail, and then I just post them to Instagram, and that's that. And I'm posting Instagram clips every Wednesday and Saturday. And I've been getting good traction with them. The, the consistency everyone says you have to do, just be regular about it and be pro prolific and regular in your interval. So... I'm doing them every Wednesday and Saturday, and they all look a certain way, thanks to my uh, colleague in Bangladesh. The views, though, seem to be trending in the right direction because, uh, I don't know why, maybe maybe because what I said, they've been somewhat prolific, but certainly regular with, with this new look. Um, the last one I put up I put up on Saturday and was actually a a clip that had previously been online but didn't get the traction I wanted it to or thought that it potentially could. And what are we doing? What are, what are we doing? We're all whoring ourselves out saying, look, this is what's trendy now. People talking shit in comedy clubs. So why don't you make me a headliner? That's kind of what we're doing. But it's the game. I'm happy to play it. I'm not mad about it. You know, I, I've said before, people who complain about, and I'll come back to my clip here. I've said before, and on a few, maybe two months ago or a month ago, I just was really strongly worded in my opinion about comics who complain about the algorithm. And now it's just crowd work to get clips and put them online because... They just sound like stay off my lawn and the game has changed and it should just be jokes. I fucking agree, but the game has changed and this is what the people want. The people want crowd work and spontaneity and maybe something more real than your dumb joke about riding an Uber with uh, poop in your pants or something. Not that that's not great, but you know what I mean? Like maybe people respond to the crowd work stuff for a reason because they don't want the canned act. I like writing jokes. I like doing crowd work, but I like writing jokes too. So anyway, I have strong opinions about it, but I was thinking the other day, I do, here's who I empathize most with. It's not big time comics who are out there complaining, or I should say successful financially comics, financially successful comics who are complaining about crowd work and can't adjust their game to the new model. Or when they do, they just come off as embittered and winky inside baseball. I don't care about those people. The people I do empathize with, though, are people coming up who don't get tons of stage time, who don't have their sets recorded at all times, 
and aren't able to constantly feed the content machine. Because that's that's a a real what's the right word? A a real a limit? What am I trying to say? It's a real constraint. Thank you. Thank you who? Thank me. It's a real constraint on your ability to make an impact if the market is saying all we want are clips of crowd work or great, well-recorded jokes where you're crushing in a room. And unfortunately, when you're starting out, you're not getting spots in comedy clubs that generally look good, that sound good, that have big, enthusiastic audiences. Your first shows are open mics, and then you're on you know, some locally produced show in front of eight people, or you're at a brewery show with a bunch of ambient noise and generators in the background, and it's cavernous, and you could be killing in the room, but it just sounds like shit on stage. Or it sounds like shit when you're looking at it through your phone. So I do empathize. I would like that. What I'm trying to do is hang an asterisk next to my strong (laughs) uh, criticism of people who complain about crowd work and complain about the algorithm. It's okay if you're a new or junior comic who does not have a, a ton of access to those places where you're constantly getting content. And, uh, yeah, that, that's really what I was going to say. What is the B I was waiting for? A is the access. B is the... When you're starting out, your shows are few and far between. If you're a comedy seller regular, like my dear friend Alvin Kwai, he's having five sets recorded every three days. And he can chop it up, put it out on the internet, and see what happens. Maybe he gets followers. Maybe something goes viral. Maybe he gets a TV show out of it. But most important, he gets a groundswell of support. He's able to build a fan base, right? If you're just starting out, you don't have that. You're trying to, and I've seen comics do it, and I, I respect the hustle. You try to record, record crowd work of yourself in, you know, just jank environments, but that's all you have. So I do empathize with that. Okay. I, I just, I feel like the other day when I was talking about it, I was like, and fuck these people who are crying about crowd work. And I posted one on Saturday that uh, what I did was I did Vin Diesel, my Vin Diesel model. I posted it and I just went away from Instagram for a couple of days. I posted it. Like Vin after Fast and Furious, the first Fast and the Furious, I've, I've told this, surely I've told the story about Vin, saw the first weekend numbers, and he just vanished and said to his agent, don't call me unless the offer's for $10 million. <laughs> and they didn't. And he got a $10 million offer for Triple X. Anyway, I posted it on Saturday and then just turned off Instagram. I took it off my phone, as I, as I occasionally do, because... It's a. It's not where I'm trying to spend my time. Anyway, today on today Monday, I found out that it has fourteen thousand views, or yeah, fourteen thousand views, bunch of likes, and I have new followers, which is great. So it worked. What was it about? Well, it was about 
something I was reminded. But it's an older clip. It's a clip from last year. You can see my hair looks a little bit like Ronald Reagan. And, you know, post-COVID people, especially uh, female comics, were very supportive. I don't know why. Very, It was female comics only who were very supportive of me growing my hair. Female comics and, like, one uh, male comic who's willing to admit it favored me with long hair. But I just, I feel like it looks too much like Ronald Reagan or like some, you know, douche in an 80s movie. So I'm back to a little shorter cut. I have an idea. I have a, you know. You can see, though, that my hair looks longer. Uh, it looks like I'm right out of COVID, to be honest with you. <laughs> and it's, I think it's titled White Girls, White Women Snapping Fingers, Next Level Cultural Appropriation. Which is like the whole thing I say, except that's in a thumbnail. That's where we are today, regular audience. That's what we have to do. We have to tell the people looking at their phones in six lines. This is exactly what you're going to see. White women snapping fingers, next level appropriation. And then that's all it is, is me roasting some white women for snapping their fingers and saying that's next level cultural appropriation. And that's the whole thing. That's how the game works. A bunch of likes, 14,000 views. And <clears throat> the internet, am I yelling? I feel like I'm yelling a little bit. Let me take a sip of water. The clip is one of those ones that's also always a weird space because I'm selling out my own people I'm selling out white people and which I'm happy to do but I'm still like I'm still I benefit from whiteness and there I am saying you know it's an interesting place I find myself sometimes because I usually do it I usually roast our whiteness and how we fuck it up for most everyone else but I also benefit from that fucking it up so it's disingenuous well, I've told you this before it's not disingenuous it's uh, it's very sketchy that I do that like what a sellout I might be the worst white person I benefit from it but I also attack it but I in, I do I only uh, I'm not really dismantling the power structures I'm just roasting white women who are snapping their fingers saying it's next level cultural appropriation you know what I mean like there's something sketchy there's something there's something I should be doing right I should be calling attention a comic should to power structures and attacking them and you know calling out hypocrisy and bullshit and that sort of thing but also and I'm not I mean I one of the hashtags I put in there was race traitor it's also kind of squishy that I I get all the benefits, but I can talk shit about, I don't know, maybe I'm overthinking it, but there, I feel like there's, I don't love when I post those like white people were fucking up uh, because it, it just, it's not that I'm like, I feel like I'm pandering to other people. There's something around, I should renounce more whiteness. Like I should trade in my card or something like that. I know that's a ridiculous example, but 
you know, like before my daughter was born, I, I had a, a joke about, you know, what people were like, what were you going to name her? And I, I said I was going to name her Lakeisha because I wanted to have her know what the world is like for people who are non-white, you know, and, and <laughs> shit like that. Right, but that's also like a, you know, like what would it be? Well, the cops would be confused because they'd see me saying "find my daughter," but they're like, "Well, the name is Lakeisha," and I was trying to make all these big statements. There's just something a little. I have to keep doing it, and I will keep doing it, obviously, because I'm not a man of <laughs> tremendous character. But I, I do I have to talk shit about whiteness. But when I do say things like that, like. But I guess I don't like to call anybody out for their behavior. Hey, ladies, you can't be snapping your fingers going, yes, girl, yes, girl, because that is wild cultural appropriation, in my estimation. You know, might as well be playing spades at, you know, a Sunday uh, gospel service or something like that. It just seems out of touch. But it's, it's totally innocent on their part. However, remember, it's not intent. It can be impact. So, I just am stating for the record for myself, I don't love putting up those videos of, I don't love moments like that where, I get, what I'm probably fearful of is try, is seeming like, I'm one of the good ones. Because I'm not. There aren't any good ones. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to seem like I'm a good one. Does that make sense? Some of us are better than others. There's no doubt. I'm, I am more of an ally for marginalized populations, underrepresented groups, than Marjorie Taylor Greene. That much is true, one hundred percent. I don't know. It's just an interesting, it's an interesting lane to be in when you're you're. I, I'm soaking up and accruing all the benefit to being white, and also chastising women in the audience who are just doing the same thing and snapping their fingers. So uh, it's a little. It's not exactly my. Also, you know what it is? Probably at the root of it. I don't like fucking telling people what to do. But there I am in the goddamn video saying, women, don't snap your fingers because it's cultural appropriation. Uh, anyway, I just wanted to comment on that. I didn't do it you know, most articulately. Well, I mean, what you heard was me working it out, thinking about it, trying to get my act together. I need to... I'm always taking a sweatshirt off in this goddamn show. One second. Whew. Yeah, I don't... Like, you know what it is? It's usually like, I'm recording it later at night. I've had like a glass and a half of wine. And then all of a sudden the sweatshirt and maybe the alcohol seeping into my system for these night recordings becomes too much. I'm like, I just need to take off my... I'm, and maybe I'm hot and bothered talking about whiteness. Uh, one other thing I wanted to mention around those clips that I posted online is you'll see that... I have a, uh, you, you'll see my shirt that I've talked about. Because <laughs> I realize on, on a podcast, maybe when I went, when I had my big shopping day and 
Pasadena over the holidays that I got my purple and gold <laughs> Hamburglar meets the Grimace shirt. Well, there I am. I'm wearing it, and you can tell me what you think of it. Does it look, as my wife says, on me, gay in the best way? That's up for you to decide. But uh, basically the ask of you is not, not so much about my shirt, but what do you think of that uh, superhero-esque kind of uh, thumbnail? I think it's pretty cool. I think it's different. It was certainly not by design with my my colleague there in Bangladesh. He just sent it like that. And I said, yeah, can you change this or that? And now we have it looking a certain way. And people are watching the goddamn videos. And you can share them. You can, you can do whatever you want. Uh, I am about at at the end of the podcast because I'm aware that the San Diego State-UConn National Championship basketball game has been going on probably for close to 20 minutes, which means it could already be at halftime. And that is, uh, my wife is probably like, she knows exactly where I am. So I'm going to leave you now. I will speak with you later on from a Later on uh, this week, so what I'm saying is LNC, I'm sorry, I'm coming in just a little short of 45 minutes. I hope you'll understand. I hope you will uh, send me your suggestions for Chicago's. <laughs> so we can do better. Uh, right now, it's Chi-Town, save me. And leave it to 15 to say something that that is straightforward and profound at the same time. You think of it, shy town save me. At first blush, I was like, oh, it's got to be catchy. It's got to be like LNC and late night call, late night commuter, and then we get the LNC out of it, and it becomes LNC. I tell you what, over the last forty minutes or so, fifteen, shy town save me. I don't want to say I sleep on fifteen because you know I don't. You know, he's one of my, he's a touchstone for the podcast, certainly, and someone that I think about more than I talk about. But the more I say that out loud, my goofy name, Chicago's, you're right, 15, that's fucking stupid. You don't even have to write in to tell me that. You don't have to leave a review telling me that. Chi-Town save me? I think... It's heavy. It's heavy the more I think about it. And 15's like, yeah, man, slow your roll. Take take your sweatshirt off. <laughs> Chi-Town Save Me is pretty damn heavy. I think my initial uh, response was based on uh, efficiency or how quickly I could get it out of my mouth if I were you know, imagining a future podca- podcast talking about Chi-Town Save Me. But 15 is just like uh, like a step back three. It's like nice, easy. And he's just saying like, man, it'll flow out of your mouth nice and smooth if you just say, shy town, save me. Damn. I'm so glad I do this. I'm so glad I have this. 15, I'm not sure I'm not sure you know what you've just done to me on this evening, but you've just 
You've made me even more present, more grounded. I'm breathing. You can hear my, my, what is it? My physiological system is different. I just, shy town saved me. Why, why, why are you moving so fast, man? Why are you racing through? Are you scared that you're not interesting enough or funny enough to carry a podcast? Are you thinking that you have to have premise, premise, setup, joke, punch, tag, act out? Is that way? Like, you don't, you don't trust yourself, dude, that they will keep listening to you? That you can just simply say, well, you got to, Email from Chi Town Save Me. Took a second and a half to say that. Why am I so wrapped around the axle, going so fast, gunning it in the red zone? So really, I'm really grateful for that. Fifteen. Well, you just, yeah. Why not Chi Town Save Me? Doesn't have to be Meineke mufflers. Shy Town Save Me is pretty damn good. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you on Friday.